This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We are joined now by our buddy Chris Thomason from the Denver Gazette. And without further ado, Chris, Sandy Clough with uh, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar today. Uh, what is the latest that you've heard, uh, if there is any hard information, on the severity of Jerry Judy's hamstring injury sustained in practice today? Well, it's a moderate hamstring injury. So... It, that's medium news, I guess. He, he's not probably be out several weeks. He's in definite jeopardy of missing the season opener, September 10th against the Raiders. But doesn't sound like it's going to be, uh, you know, deep into September or anything like that type injury. Well, uh, if he can't play in the opener and he can't play in the second game, those are two games the Broncos have to win. Uh, he would be the sixth wide receiver who's been hit by injury. Uh, whatever happened to this uh, new uh, uh, medical staff that was supposed to replace uh, uh, the devilish Lauren Landau and cure all Bronco injury ills? This is another soft tissue injury uh, that came as he was running an end around in practice today. And uh Frankly, I don't see the difference. If anything, there are more injuries in training camp this year than there were a year ago. Yeah, you know, I didn't cover the team last year, but obviously read about it from afar. And, uh, yeah, Sean Payton continues to say that he doesn't believe that the team is snake bit, but it's crazy what's happened at wide receiver. Uh, I wrote in my story today, Mark Jackson, I talked earlier this summer, was comparing uh, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy to a possible sequel to the three amigos. And uh, now they're down to one amigo. So we'll Well, see how many amigos are left for the regular season opener. Mark may be too um, modest to say, and injuries had a lot to do with the dissolution of the three amigos too, especially the one to Ricky Teal, who I thought was the most talented of of the three. I didn't know Ricky as well as I knew Mark or – uh, Vance Johnson, but uh, Mark Jackson may be uh, overly modest in suggesting that this can be a sequel because right now it's all promise and no delivery. And uh, it's too bad that Judy got hurt, but it's not as if Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy were lighting it up either on the practice field or in the games during this preseason. They've looked like two very ordinary wide receivers who both on the practice field and in the games drop a ton of passes, same as always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is the hope this year. All of those guys have had injuries over recent years, and they've barely played together. And the thinking was, hey, exactly. maybe finally we're going to get the three playing together. At least in the past, they've had two playing together. Now they're, they're down to one, but uh, certainly the hope is at least uh, – Judy comes back, and they at least got two of those three out there. Well, does this open things up, uh, at least at the start of the season, for another wide receiver to make the team? Uh, we, we thought there'd be six. We had a pretty good idea who those six w- uh, were before the injury today. And again, at least at the start of the season, uh, maybe the Broncos keep a receiver who otherwise 
might have either been released or put on uh, waived or put on the practice squad, who might jump in? Uh, everybody jumps up, but who jumps in on on the backside if uh, Judy, as expected, can't play for the first week or two of the season? Yeah, I mean, this makes for a very and it, a more interesting than thought preseason game on Saturday against the Rams. Uh, Sean Payton said Marvin Mims, who of course is going to make the team second round pick, sure. is going to play quite a bit. And some of these other receivers are, you know, going to be out there battling for the job and auditioning. So there could be a guy who steps up that maybe heading into the game, they weren't thinking that he's going to be on the 53 and then he emerges. But then of course, the way these injuries have happened, maybe there's another wide receiver injury in the game on Saturday. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, uh, it's wide open to see not only who's going to be the other starters, but, uh, who's going to be the depth guys. Well, you have, uh, Brandon Johnson, my right He he's been injured, but he came back to practice today, right? Could he be that? Guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's returned to practice and he's certainly a strong candidate to make the 53 and, uh, Peyton and uh, Joe Lombardi talked up Kendall Hinton today, so well, he's yeah. Uh, I think he was going to make it anyway, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a candidate for the fifty-three, and Marquez Callaway yeah. has uh, been in the mix, and he's certainly helped by knowing Sean Payton's playbook in New Orleans. Uh, but maybe you have a guy that you're thinking now isn't going to make it, like a little Jordan Humphrey or somebody right. of of that nature who steps up um, and some of these guys are going to be in the practice squad too. So they could get elevated for games or signed during the season. So uh, there's going to be more than, you know, five or six receivers, you know, counting the guys in the practice squad who could make an impact due to these injuries. Well, you know, when I listen to this guys, it makes me think of back to 1983 when I was in training camp with the Broncos, and I think of a player drafted in the 12th round that one practice would go with us linebackers, the next practice that go with the D linemen, defensive ends, then he was playing nose, and all these different positions. Wasn't particularly fast, wasn't particularly strong, and you looked at him and you thought, where's this kid going to fit? And uh, I'm talking about no other than Carl Mecklenburg, who ended up being an all-pro player. There's someone on this team, Sandy. There's someone on this team that will – illuminate themselves because of this injury. I'll guarantee you. And it may not be, you know, like he said, for the active roster, but for the practice squad. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about football. I don't know that it's like it was in 1983, but man, you know, there's kids that are just, this is a dream. The ones that are those bubble players that will get an opportunity to now, a few more reps mm -hmm. that now that Jerry Judy's out. But I'll tell you what, it's possible for anything to happen in the next two, well, really week and a half. Um, to happen with those receivers because that's that's your top guys down. It's going to give a few more reps to some of those underdogs. Chris, on that point, uh, has there been any one or two players now that camp is more or less over the training camp portion of the preseason who's jumped out at you over the past roughly three weeks that you didn't expect to be a factor necessarily? 
maybe a guy like Elijah Garcia, who's yeah. made some big plays, two sacks in the first preseason game, nice athletic uh, interception, diving for that ball. So he's certainly got a shot uh, right there. And, you know, the one that everybody is obviously talking about has been Jaleel McLaughlin. I mean, you looked at his stats, uh, all-time leading college rusher, but, you know, half his yards came at – Notre Dame, no, not that Notre Dame, Notre Dame of Ohio. And he's emerged right. to be, yeah. you know, the real, the real yeah. deal. And yeah. So, I mean, he looked good in practice and then you're waiting. Okay. Well, let's see it in a preseason game, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously been the uh, biggest overall surprise of training camp and the preseason. Hey, tell me about Drew Sanders. Uh, and uh, obviously we know that Vance Joseph has been quoted as saying that Sanders does something every day in practice that you don't see linebackers do normally. Clearly, he has to learn the defense uh, before he gets to play on a more regular basis. But Joseph has talked about using him as a wild card kind of player. He figures to play a whole lot on Saturday night. What's your impression of? what wild card role he might play and might he be put in there sooner rather than later, even at inside. Yeah. Robot. I mean, Sean Payton has talked about him. He likes uh, him as a potential inside pass rusher. I mean, they don't have one of those guys, with, you know, Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton are, pretty much, you know, regular inside linebacker type guys. But, uh, you know, uh, I imagine that uh, Peyton is going to put him in in some situations and, and boom, try to, you know, have an inside pass rush. So that'll keep the teams off guard by the rushers won't just come from uh, traditional spots. And, you know, they might try him outside. Uh, He's a guy that they can uh, move around a lot that seems to have a lot of versatility. We talked at length yesterday, Chris, about the joint practice with the Rams and some of Sean Payton's rather candid comments after the practice that today would be more or less about correcting all the things the Broncos did wrong yesterday, uh, apart from the injury to Judy, which is clearly the story. Did today's practice satisfy Payton? that corrections had been made or was even if you don't talk about Judy's injury, another day where maybe the Broncos looked a little confused and disorganized. I noticed the players looked a little tired coming off the field or some looked a lot tired, but uh, Sean Payton said uh, he thought that they were a lot better in the second day than the first day. But, you know, part of that is, coaches speak perhaps yes Yes, Uh, of course he wasn't going to say they were worse (laughs) right you knew that so uh yeah and he's certainly not going to blast his team but uh you know i I mean it's uh, the team is is growing they're still learning under sean payton and, and that sort of thing and uh you know i thought overall it was it was good work and they still have um two you know over two weeks before the regular season starts and that sort of thing. Um, the media will be able to watch three more practices next week. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then after that, the media will not see another practice the next, uh, the rest of the season, probably. Pretty much, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they'll they'll work on some stuff then that maybe they've been holding back and that sort of thing. We'll let you run on this, Chris Thomason, our guest, of course, from the Denver Gazette. If you had to estimate how many positions on this team are really up for grabs on Saturday night, five, six, a few more, a few less? I mean, I think that's kind of a, a fair uh, indicator. Um, there's And injuries can happen, too. Sure. Oh, of course. We found that out today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it isn't always necessarily, you know, the best players that make the team. They might have a 53. Right man projection right now and then boom there's an injury at another position and some guy who uh, had a lesser chance you know makes it over another guy and that sort of thing and uh yeah i mean half a half a dozen or so and then you obviously have the waiver wire you have those people who uh those guys who make the initial 53 man and then a day later they're cut when somebody's claimed off waivers and Sean Payton has spoke spoken often about all the players he's picked up late in the game Taysom Hill is a guy he's mentioned so you better believe that the Broncos are going to be perusing the waiver wire heavily after uh, final cuts are done next Tuesday as always Chris our thanks we appreciate your time we'll talk soon thanks thanks Chris always a pleasure Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette and I want to ask you, Rick, uh, and, and coaches sometimes will say, yes, we'll be scouring the waiver wire and uh, picking up players. But this year, the cuts all happen at once. You're going yeah. from 90 to 53. Yeah. You're looking to get rid of people, right? First and right. foremost, rather than add people on. I'm always suspicious of that. You've been through it oh, on yeah. a firsthand basis. What are these two weeks, two and a half weeks like yeah. between the end of training camp and opening day? Yeah, just so everyone understands, on every NFL team, there's a pro side of scouting and there's a college side of scouting. And so the pro side of scouting means that they are continually 24-7 scouring the waiver wire, looking at everybody's roster. I mean, there's a lot of players out there that the Broncos evaluated prior to the draft. A lot of them out there, they know him really well. And they and they know that, hey, should he come available, we'll get rid of this guy for that one because we really wanted him. So on the pro side, there's they know so much about personnel. It's their job. And for these next two weeks, Sandy, they earn their money because this is the time when they say, hey, Buffalo's got that kid we really like, as, a, as an example. Buffalo's got that kid we really like. We, you know, he, we evaluate him higher than we anybody we got. So when we make our cuts, we're going to bring this kid in. So it's not it's not kind of a, a roulette wheel. It's very systematic. And and the teams put a lot of effort into the pro side of scouting and the college side of scouting. But in the next two weeks over these last cuts, there's a systematic way that these teams make decisions, who to bring in and who to let go. It depends on the position, I understand. But it, it isn't there a, – a, a reluctance maybe to bring in someone new who might only be marginally better than what you have because the system you've installed 
would be unfamiliar to that player, and that player would have exactly one week if they expect him to make any kind of serious contribution. Right. He'd have one week, maybe a little longer, but basically one week to pick up a system well enough so that he could contribute. Yeah, even but, on a part-time basis. Right, but th- this goes all the way back to college scouting when we've done personality assessments on these players, and we may have a personality assessment on a particular linebacker that we like the way they process, their their cognitive processing. They're a, a deep thinker, and we want that kid, mm-hmm. and we want his divergent thinking on the team. And, you know, it's, it comes back, Sandy, to really the head coach and their personality. Sure. Do you look at divergent thinking as an asset or do you want homogeneity, meaning the same? Mm-hmm. You know, some people say, oh, my best friend, I finished their sentences. I say, I'm sorry. I want my friend to stretch me, make me right. think in different right. ways. Some coaches don't want divergent thinking on their team. They want homogeneity, the same. So it depends on the personality of the position coach, the D coordinator or O coordinator, depending on what they're going for, and the head coach. Then the scouting departments influence it too. And also a team psychologist has a big role in this too because we've spent a lot of time with these players and we can say, let me give you an example. So in in the uh, uh, 2016 draft, we picked 22nd, I believe. I could be off a pick or two with the Miami Dolphins, and we were going to take a kid named Jared Davis at number 22. Well, at 21, the Lions took him. And we just lost the air out of our tires because psychologically, that's the kid we wanted. And so we do our work to know them psychologically, emotionally, not just from the neck down, but from the neck up. But perhaps that's an organizational weakness, too. Because there's always the chance that your guy will be taken before you pick. Absolutely. you got to be ready for that. And you have to be ready. Yep. And it sounds as if you're implying that maybe that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Ready. <laughs> All right. We'll come back and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, the Broncos. But I also want to get Rick's impression, because we haven't talked at length about this, of the whole Deion Sanders show up in Boulder, because that's a season that begins in nine days on September 2nd in Fort Worth, CU at TCU. Last year, a national championship game participant. And this year, even though they've had losses in player personnel, they're ranked inside the top 20. A very challenging opener for Colorado and the Deion Sanders experiment (laughs) will... Yes, continue sir. to unfold, yeah. won't it, come September 2nd. We'll get Dr. Perea's thoughts on that as we continue right here. Sandy Clough, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar. This is Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. If it takes all night. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. All right, for this segment, we're going to give the floor to the good Dr. Rick Perea. And uh, 
simply allow you to uh, expound on what you see as having gone on up in Boulder over the last few months. And since their season begins in nine days, coming off a 1-11 season in which they were in some circles ranked out of 133 FBS schools, number 133 last year, dead last. And I was pointing out yesterday, the Athletic did a piece uh, this week in which they ranked the teams for 2023, 1 through 133. And CU was ranked 84. And I, I said, some people might react to that and say, well, that's awfully unfavorable. Man, it did. It's a jump of almost 50 spots. Yeah. That would be a tremendous improvement if they were one of the top 84 teams in FBS this year. That'd be a tremendous improvement over last year. The bad news is tremendous improvement might be three and nine, right? Four and eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I look at this team, I, I was talking to my son the other day my uh, junior who uh, plays high school football at Cherry Creek High School, I, I told him. For I, Coach Logan. For Coach Logan. Um, they play tomorrow night, home opener, come out and watch him play. Um, be a fun season. I, I was talking to my son, and I says, you know, I see this team winning two, maybe three games. And that's based on this. So coaching has not been reinvented, okay? And Deion Sanders is not going to reinvent how to coach. What Deion Sanders has done, and really kind of the whole athletic department up at CU has done, has built up a lot of excitement around anticipation, hope, and change. Um, that, that program's literally been desperate recently to bring about change. And I think people have attached their trailer to that hope that there is change. Let's back up from an organizational perspective. For those out there, I, I, you know, I've worked with several world championship, national championship teams. And we talk about, again, a culture by design, how we design a culture to maximize our, our human capital. Human capital is people. So, you know, he goes in and he, he purges a lot of students, uh, meaning student athletes. And I, and I just want to remind everybody, these, these students, these, these football players are people. They're people. They've, they've committed themselves to majors, um, some of them into their junior year and finishing their junior year, and now they're transferring to a school that all their credits will not transfer. So there's a lot of, uh, of change. And when you bring that much change to an organization that quickly, it does not bode well for a culture by design in terms of collaboration, cooperation, and cohesion. We want cohesion, whether it's a team, a company, a family, and it's hard to establish that in one off season. So while his intentions are really good, I love his enthusiasm. Right. I love that no he doubt. gets excited no doubt. and he's positive for right. the most part. I love all that. But from my perspective, he's he spews out a lot of ignorance too, that he doesn't understand organizational performance. And also, let's be honest, Rick George, the the AD who hired him. You know, behind closed doors, let's talk about why he really hired him. You know, is it really to to bring him in here for a five-year, seven-year, nine-year job that he's going to turn the organization around? Or was it to generate excitement, you know, short-term? Because he's going to do that. 
But I'm to tell he, you, he already has yeah, done he, that. He's already and, done and, that. And to be fair, he's paid for himself. Yeah. Oh, of course he look, has. Look, look yeah. at all the uh, sales they've made yes. on merchandise and, yes. and and so on, and interest in uh, going to the games right. has, has increased hundredfold. I mean, right. you can't you can't find a season ticket right now. I mean, they're they're sold out for for everything, and you know to to, to that point, and I I want you to continue along those lines. Why did they hire him? Yes, for all those tangible reasons. Sure. For revenue generating I reasons. Get it. Okay. They also hired him so that they could move into the Big Twelve. Yeah. No. And become attractive to the Big Twelve because they it. knew the Pac Twelve was dying. I get it. And I understand all those tertiary reasons, those external reasons of why they've done that. But at the end of the day, the fans want a consistent winner, a consistent contender. And the way you do that is you build it through human capital. You build it through your recruiting, um, both in-state, by the way, and out-of-state. You know, there, there's been proven that there's a lot of in-state talent, you know. I, I mean, I'm very close to the Cherry Creek team because my sons play there. And I can tell you, there's a lot of talent. That, you know, Oh, it's, it. it's and, a high and, school and, dynasty. And just not at Cherry Creek. It's throughout the state. There's, yeah. there's talent there. But a lot of that talent is leaking out. It's leaving. No doubt. And if, if Dion can garner that and not say, you know, I'm going to go after California, Texas, Florida, right. and leave Colorado alone. But if he can get Colorado's top 10 players, top 12 players on a consistent basis, then he's going to do well. But here's, here's let me go back to my system. So if they hired him to really get people excited, they've accomplished that. And, right. you know, sales and merchandise and all that. But in terms of a long-term coach that is going to turn around and have a culture by design and not a culture by default. Now, if I call Deion Sanders right now and we got him on the phone and I said, what's your culture by design? I believe he would not be able to tell me. He might say, we're going to be accountable. We're going to be structured. We're going to be disciplined. But he wouldn't be able to tell me how that's going to happen. Well, how not not only that, but he said recently culture's a lot of hogwash. Well, uh, whoa, baby. Give me a call, Dion. Give me a call, buddy, because let me tell you something. But then he talked That's... about how well all the players got along, which the last time I looked <laughs> is part of building a culture. Oh, okay. So he contradicted himself, but yeah. still, that was his point. I don't want to hear about culture. Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry, brother. You're you're not reinventing the way to coach a team. It is culture. It is this. It's a togetherness. It's a brotherhood. It's a it's a collaboration between not only the players but coaches. Coaches with each other, coaches to players, players to coaches. And when you, that takes time to build. So I think, you know, if Dion, his message was, you know what? We're going to come out in, two, in 23 and we're going to compete. We're going to line up and we're going to compete. I, I, I live with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever, the, whatever W's and L's come out, mm -hmm. fine. 24, we're going to do it. And, and you know, we're going we're gonna to get this thing turned around. But to, to make a supposition or a postulation that we are going to win now, I just think that's an ignorant point of view to come from. And if I'm Rick George, I, I said, bro, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what we're really doing here, and it's more long-term than short-term. So it goes back to organizational performance. And, again, I've sat in on committees selecting college coaches, yeah. and I've sat in to select pro coaches too. Most teams, most athletic departments at the college level don't understand how to acquire talent in a systematic way. 
I mean, you know, I was, I, I won't mention names. I've been part of selections where they just took the most popular guy out there right. and he didn't work out because you didn't do any homework on him. Deion Sanders has definitely achieved getting people excited. He will get people excited. But in terms of making CU football a winning program right now, I think that is just not an accurate statement. I hope I'm wrong. I hope right. I'm wrong, but I'm telling you, it's yep. going to take two to three, four years to turn this program around consistently, getting homebred kids that build a foundation and, and a, really a culture by design so they can be a consistent winner like they were back in the days under Coach Mack. He does occasionally remind me of McCartney. Okay. It, 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 I mean, there's some of that charisma. Yeah, that, sure. That, that does come through with him. And we all know, uh, as great as McCartney could be in certain areas, the best look that McCartney had was standing on the sidelines during the game without a headset on. Mm, yeah. And I do think in that sense... Dion has made no bones about the fact that the team will be coached by the coordinators and the position coaches. Mm -hmm. Bill McCartney famously said at one point, my mission is exhortation. Yeah. That's what I bring. Exhortation. Yeah. And he had a spiritual dimension that I think caused him to believe that. And I, I think that that's a great word. And if I were to think of Bill McCartney as a coach, that'd be the first word I'd think of too. Yeah. And and but that's Deion Sanders. And what I'm saying is I think that's Deion Sanders too. And though he hasn't quite articulated it that way, I I think he's in charge of the exhortation and the X's and O's and maybe even to an extent the winning and losing. That's Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator. Uh, that's the defensive coordinator who's highly thought of as an Alabama assistant. Yep. I, I do think, at least it appears, he's hired a hell of a staff. No, he has. He has. But but here's here's an example of where Dion has put his foot in his mouth uh, unintentionally. So when he if he talks about his coordinators are going to coach this team, his position coaches, and he's roaming the sidelines right. without a headset – your communication skills, your leadership skills, that's culture. That is culture. So when you talk and you you're all you have all those quotes online. So he's doing culture while bashing it. Yeah, he's doing culture without knowing that he's doing culture. He doesn't understand the fundamental aspects of what we delineate with culture. And and again, that's that's the organizational model. Form, storm, norm, and perform, leadership styles, but also communication styles and helping people how to understand the difference between process and outcome goals. Because I can tell you this, what well, what's happening right now is CU fans are all caught up in outcome. We're going to win. Yes. You know what? Yes. Focus on process. Offensive. That's what Nick Saban does. Absolutely. Right? Nick Saban. It's all process. You walk in the Alabama facility and you see all over the walls, right. you will not see the word win anywhere. Right. You will see the word trust the process, be the process, be live the process. An offensive lineman, it's not that you have to block 70. Your footwork and technique, footwork and technique will block 70. That's my process. Focus on process, the outcome will come. 
what Dion has done, he's talked, he's put outcome ahead of yeah, process. Yeah, he's put outcome ahead of process, especially publicly. Yeah. Publicly. You got to focus on process on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, and then what'll happen, the the outcome, Sandy. Now listen to this. The outcome is a symptom of process. So only will you win games when you take care of process. When you allow players to focus on process, their anxiety goes down because they have 100% control over process. Yes. I don't have 100% control over winning. I I don't. Dion doesn't, even though he thinks he does. He does not have 100% control over winning. He has 100% control over process. So do his coaches and players. Focus on process. You'll be on the parasympathetic side. Your anxiety will be down. You'll play to your potential. And guess what? The wins will start to stack up. Preach, brother. I yeah, baby. It. I love Let's it. Let's go. I love it. All right. We're going to come back and we're going to hear uh, some other views expressed about uh, Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, and the Denver Broncos as they close out a preseason that has been uh, filled with uh, mixed emotions, I would say, and maybe mixed process. That makes us unsure about the outcome of this 2023 season upcoming and how much better, if it's any better at all, than things were in 2022. That's all coming next. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar, Rick Perea sitting in for Sean today on Mile High Sports. Got so much, so much, so much. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough with Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Chandro Tar today. This is Mile High Sports 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340 if you want to jump in. And, of course, we're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen. For those who are watching, of course, it's milehighsports.com slash watch and the free mile high sports app our producer is the great danny bailey and we're going to go back to the point we were making earlier about the russell wilson sean payton dynamic and we heard earlier on in the program from your old boss down in miami mike tannenbaum who's now a commentator for espn and dan orlovsky uh, who I find very refreshing, former quarterback, uh, also an ESPN commentator, with opposing views on whether Russell Wilson would be benched fairly quickly if things did not go well, or whether, at least for this year, no matter what happens, Russell Wilson's going to be the starting quarterback as long as he's healthy. And now we have maybe a little bit of a different twist. Marcus Spears and Sal Palantonio commenting Marcus Spears first on what happens if Russell Wilson doesn't return to form in 2023. See, here's the thing. We're trying to figure out if Russ is this fake chicken they're making now <laughs> or if he's still the real chicken. Because uh -huh. The real chicken was in Seattle. 
and the trending towards a Hall of Fame, a Super Bowl champion. Guys, do y'all realize how far removed we are? Russell Wilson is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about if the guy can play the position at a very high level. Jared Stidham has to be ready because the one thing Sean Payton will not do is allow Russell Wilson to go out and look consistently like he looked last year. He will make that change. And the reason he can make that change, regardless of Russell paycheck, is because it's new ownership and he is the head honcho in the building. Yeah, I, I think everyone has agreed with that except Sal. Why? Uh, listen, you know, I don't know much, but here's what I do know, okay? All that Walmart money that came to Sean Payton for was one reason and one reason only. You're going to fix the problems with Russell Wilson. And if you can't fix the problems with one of Russell Wilson at $20 million a year, at $100 million, then what are we – are you really telling me – are you really telling me, Marcus, that Jarrett Stidham is the answer at quarterback? He's not. No, I'm telling He's you. He's not the I'm answer I'm not telling you he's the answer, but if Russ ain't Jarrett Stidham going to be playing until they find an answer. You know, Russ – Sean Payton comes from the Bill Parcells school, right? He yeah. learned how to coach. And Bill Parcells was the master of manipulating the press and sending signals from the podium to his different players. All he's doing is putting Russell Wilson on notice and the rest of the team, I'm going to treat this guy every, just like everybody else on the team. But he's not going to play Jared Stidham. Until you become not Drew Ble- Bledsoe and Tony Romo take over. Well, except like, but, but is Jared Stidham that? Stidham I mean, that's no, he's, not, he's not that. I'm not saying he that. Right. No. I'm talking about not being afraid to make a change. Yeah. Right. Because I was there with Sean Payton. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> like, right. This is not going to be – I know what everybody thinks. And, Sal, to your point, like Sean Payton was brought there to fix Russell Wilson. Yeah. We've heard the issues with Russell You can't Wilson. fix Russell Wilson. What are we paying you $20 million for? You uh, paying, I'm paying you $20 million based on what you did before you got here. I'm not paying you that. What he did before he got here was won a Super Bowl in New Orleans and had a lot of successful seasons. This – team is going to be invested in a new quarterback if Russell Wilson ain't good. So. They're going to figure it out. All right. We've heard all of that. Why do you think Sean Payton was hired? Was it to fix Russell Wilson? Or was it more along the lines of putting a process in place that would lead to winning um hopefully sooner rather than later. And what should it have been? What should the rationale have been? Should it have been primarily, hey, you're the quarterback whisperer. Go fix Russell Wilson. Everything will be okay. Or should it have been, hey, you're a proven winner. You've won 154 games in 15 seasons coaching with the New Orleans Saints. You've been to a Super Bowl and won it. You've been close many other times. You won with Drew Brees, and you even had a winning record in your last season after Drew Brees retired. What do you think it was, and what do you think it should have been, the rationale for hiring Sean Payton? Yeah, so I'll answer that question, two questions in one answer. I hope, I sincerely hope it was to coach the Denver Broncos into winning ways for the near future, not to fix Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a piece of the pie. He's not the pie. He's a spoke in the wheel. He's not the wheel, even though everybody thinks he is. He's not. Sean Payton should create a culture where there's internal competition at every position. Now, 
you're going to have some of your your best players, obviously, except for Justin Simmons and Patrick Sertan. Yeah, they're uh, you, fixtures. They're, yeah, they're and, stars. and your left tackle should be a fixture too. There's certain positions that should be just they're your guys. You know, uh, uh, like when Vaughn was here and Demarcus, oh, sure. those kind of guys. But you've got to create a climate and culture where Russell Wilson thrives in the culture. It's you don't have to fix this whole notion of fixing Russell Wilson. He's not broken. <laughs> He's not a toy or a machine. He's a human being. If you cultivate him in a climate and culture that cultivates internal competition and a need, and we call it intrinsic motivation, internal motivation, that will take care of itself. Again, Sandy, I got to go back to process goals versus outcome goals. It's not about turning around a player, changing a player. It's about creating a climate and culture here of process. And once you do process, once the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator have a climate culture of process, Russell Wilson will play to his potential. What that is now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's 34 years old. Yes. He's always been what's made Russell Wilson him. He's been a dual threat guy. And as a former defensive player, I can tell you playing against a dual threat guy is very challenging. Now he's not quite the same runner that he was, but I still think he can be enough of a threat as a dual threat to be effective, but you got to create a climate and culture of process orientation instead of outcome. Because when you focus on outcome numbers, quantitative wins, people get anxious. If you look at Russell Wilson's face, the last year here, there's anxiety written all over, all over it. He might as well just read it on, wrote it on his face Mm -hmm. in white anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's what we call somatic anxiety. Soma means body. His body, you can see the tension in him. When we, when the Bron- Denver Broncos, that was a Freudian slip, when the Denver Broncos figure out a way to be process-oriented from the top down, including developing and cultivating their quarterbacks, they will be in a state of their parasympathetic where they're relaxed, calm, their heart rate's down, their respiration, very little muscle tension, clarity of thinking. Russell Wilson re- will return to a better quarterback than he was last year but Russell Wilson will never play to the potential that he did play in Seattle. I'm sorry. He's just not that, that, that guy That anymore. guy is gone. He's gone. He's gone. And, it, and it's also from the neck up. And you know as well mm-hmm. as I do, we can go back to Trevor Moad, his mental yes. guy yes. who passed away. Rest in peace, Trevor. Uh, passed away about a year ago, year and a half ago from cancer. Mm-hmm. He's not the same player that he was then. You can't just purchase people and plug them <laughs> in like a toy or like a car. They change over time. Their motivation changes over time. You know, when I saw Russell Wilson at that tennis tournament last year with, um, help me. Sierra. Yeah. With, and at watching Serena Williams. Yeah, watching Serena Williams. Now, and, and again. In his that was sungla- about this time a year ago. In, in his sunglasses and all, you know, you know all he's, he, was, he was drippy. He was looking good. But brother, 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 your team was in training camp. Be with your team yeah. and be, you know, be that core guy that exudes leadership, communication skills, leadership skills, modeling behavior that the rest of your team sees you as the guy that gets out there and says, you know what, hook your trailer to me, we can do this. But it's done in process, Sandy. It, a culture by design is done in process. It's not done in outcome. And the teams that have done that consistently throughout the years have been consistent winners. There's no, there's, there's science to it. There is science to it to prove it. And the people that don't understand organizational performance will never play to their potentials. I'll say this. 
The Denver Broncos are a team, but at a core level, they are an organization. And if they're not run like an organization, they will never reach their true potential of performance on the field. People in our business talk about coaches playing mind games, quote unquote. I can see you reflexively <laughs> wincing, just a matter of reflex right. when you hear that, because that's mind games. What does that even mean? It's nonsense. That's okay, nonsense. Okay. <laughs> there's no such thing as mind games. I wasn't expecting games. you to be quite that blunt. Well, I mean, there's there's not mind games. And you know what? For the coaches that rely on mind games, you know, improve your competency. Improve your acumen. Learn how, you know what? This is not just about football. There's a, There was a football coach here eight, nine, ten years ago. They got fired here because you couldn't explain why you ran a particular defense. Right. Coaches, learn competency, learn acumen, learn how to communicate. You're dealing with human beings. See, pro football, pro basketball, pro baseball, pro football is a people business. And if you don't understand how to communicate and how to lead your coaches and players, you will never reach your troll potential. There's no games. Be honest with each other. Love each other. Trust each other. You'll have a chance to win. And, and the Bill Parcells thing on mind games is just about going up to Lawrence Taylor before a certain game against a guy who has blocked him successfully in the past and saying, maybe I'll try to get another linebacker to come in this week to take your place because I know that linebacker can beat this guy. That, that, I, I mean, I, I don't know that that constitutes mind games. No. That's one guy. That's not a mind game. No. Exchanging a, 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 a piece of motivational stuff, I guess. But it, it, Lawrence Taylor is a great player. Yes. Who doesn't need to be motivated to play great. Thank Bill you. Parcells is just pushing for that little extra, yeah. even from Lawrence Taylor, and that's a good thing. Yeah, Lawrence Taylor's motor was developed when he was 7, 8, yeah. 9, yeah, 10, 11 right. years old Bill in terms of develop. psychological development. Bill Parcells was playing Capitalized with him. He was playing Capitalized around with him. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and you know what? The best linebackers in the world, since we've been talking about linebackers, are usually psychologically wounded people psychologically wounded people because they have a reason to come get you. They have a reason to hit you and tackle you. Psychology plays such a role, Sandy, in organizational performance, in team performance, and I just want people to walk away if they walk away with anything today. When you get your checkup from the neck up, it will enable you to be your 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 maximum and reach your potential from the neck down. If you don't, you're 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 going 60% 70% your true potential. You would never walk into a math class and allow the teacher to say, if you get every answer right, you still get 70%. That's what you're doing when you walk out on a football field and you have not got your checkup from the neck up. You got me fired up. Let's go, baby. All right. We're done. But it's been a fast two hours. Yes. Thanks, Rick. Thank really you, Really appreciate Andy. you sitting in. Thank you. Love being here. Today. And uh, Sean will be returning tomorrow, our usual time, 4 to 6, right back here on Mile High Sports. I want to thank the great Danny Bailey, who's been producing this extravaganza uh, from the beginning. And we, of course, will see you tomorrow afternoon at 4, right back here. We'll see, and you can listen to us both on Mile High Sports. So let it rock. Let it roll. Let the Bible pay.